with you, turn to Psalm 103. We're going to use this as uh, the basis of looking at this whole idea of uh, a loving and forgiving God today. Uh, if you haven't got it with you, it should be on the screen here. So Psalm 103, and we're going to read the whole psalm. Psalm 103 a day of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like that of the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us as according to our sins." nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as, 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 for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But God has a different view. This is it. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The Psalms uh, do a great way of capturing the emotion of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I hope you read them with emotion <laughs> and that you actually take it to heart what actually David's saying here and what that means for you. I uh, was playing around with titles for this message and I'm um, going with something like um, A Flippin' Fabulous Forgiving Father. And there's probably another few other words I could have put in there as well. But this idea that God, I think sometimes um, this idea that God's a forgiving God um, sort of brushes over us a bit. Um, and we sort of know the words and sort of know the concept but the extent of it sort of just washes over us. So a bit like last week where I asked us to focus on uh, the love of God um, and rediscovering that joy and delight. And I think we've got a slide, yes. 
Uh, did you walk around this week with a little bit more of a smile on your face? <laughs> a bit more of a spring in your step uh, as you remembered and were reminded of God's love for you uh, as his bride or as his wife. So as I said, in January, I'm going to give you a number of pictures of God that hopefully as you sit under and as you um, take in, that it puts a smile on your face, that you realise who God is and who you are because of him. And so last week it was God as um, a loving and pursuing husband or bride. This week we're going to look uh, as God as a forgiving father. Um, And next week we're going to look at him as a protecting king. And um, often when you're preaching and people talk about preaching and talk about sermons, they always say, well, you know, what do you want me to do as a result of it? And they talk about, you know, what's the application of this? How do I do it? And as I've been thinking about this, I'm not going to have a whole lot of application for you. I sort of am and I aren't. I just actually want you, and I think this is what the Bible does, they just want you to soak it in. Just listen to this. Just take it in. And don't start coming up a list of things that I have to do, but just recognize, sit under, be filled up with the love of God as we head into this year. And that's for me, that you're filled up with this sense of joy and delight. Because then out of that, things will happen. And so um, I'm just encouraging you today to sit under this teaching, to hear this psalm, to take this psalm in deep and savor it, savor the words of it, and let the idea that your Saviour wants wants to fill you again with the extent of his forgiveness for you, with the extent of his love for you, with his extent of his desire to be with you, to be in an intimate relationship with you, to know that intimacy as a father and as a child. Uh, he wants you to know that again this morning. So uh, this week, uh, we're focusing on that idea of God as our forgiving father. Um, and it says here in Psalm 103, um, he's, he's talking about all this forgiveness stuff. He uses the image of as a father has compassion on his children. This is sort of the root of uh, forgiveness. And, 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 you know, it's a very biblical image. It's a very biblical metaphor of how God relates to us. And um, unfortunately, as we head into this, we've got to do a bit of adjusting because we will see God as our father as we related to our fathers. And we've got to realise that our fathers were not perfect Um, and we as fathers are not perfect. Um, And so you've got to do this translation here that whenever God talks about himself as father, you've got to put, um, is it the adjective in front of it? The perfect father. (laughs) You've got to try and understand what would a perfect father be like? And there's some of that that we get to experience from our own fathers, but we've got to think about what that would be, what that would look like if it was raised to perfection. How would a loving father, perfect father treat us and as this psalm says he does not treat us as our sins deserve he doesn't treat us uh, as we should because the bible's told us that the consequences of sin is death it's separation from him and he says i don't treat you like that because you're my kids 
You're my kids who I love dearly and I'll do anything for you. I'll go to the ends of the earth for you. I'll die on a cross for you. I'll come and live on this earth for you. That's the sort of loving father that we have. And I suspect that we often forget this. And if I look at my own life and I talk to others, that we forget this truth and that we don't actually believe it. Now, I talk to many people in this church and in my journey as a Christian. I will not be long before people will start to talk about how bad they are, how God can't love them because of the way they live. Uh, I often see it um, when I talk to people about doing profession of faith, doing a, a profession of faith here or baptism. And they'll say, I need to get my stuff together first. I'm not living the way I should be. God's not really happy with me at the moment. And as we go through this sermon, we've got to realize that they're lies. <laughs> That's a lie. Because the perfect father doesn't love you because of what you do. Okay, just let that sink. God doesn't love you because of what you do, whether good or bad. God loves you because you're his kids. That's why he loves you, because you're his kids. They're my sons and daughters and I love them. And it's despite what we do or how we act. And so um, I want to, uh, another sort of word that comes out of this is uh, grace and this idea that grace changes everything. Uh, and as I often trot out that uh, acronym of grace, which is God's riches at Christ's expense. Isn't it? So the songs that we sang at the start, that sort of laid that out, isn't it, in terms of that's what it cost God to pay our debt so that we may receive forgiveness, a gift from God, all of God's riches, all every spiritual blessing he lavishes on his people. And so this week, as I was preparing uh, this sermon, um, I came across that cliched, and that you know, I, I keep saying to you, I will trot out cliches because cliches are cliches because they're true. That's why they become cliches. <laughs> so you just got to hear that again. And so there's that cliche of there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less because he loves you because you're his kids and my children. And then he deals with the other stuff around that. And this week, as I, um, as I sort of researched forgiveness, I ended up finding lots of video testimonies on, um, you can just, forgiveness, if you go to yesheis.com or uh, Ignite a Media or whatever and just type in forgiveness, you get all these testimonies of people talking about forgiveness. So this week I probably read, listened, heard more testimonies of God's grace than I have for a, a long time. And so I heard from people who were addicts people who were addicted to drugs, addicted to sex, to gambling, to food. I heard testimonies from murderers, adulterers, porn stars, people who'd abused their kids. I heard testimony of people who were selfish, greedy, 
stubborn, and resentful. And as they reflected on their life as these sorts of people, through this came this beautiful message of forgiveness and grace. And they continue to testify that through Jesus, their, dis- their despair turned to joy. And so as they spoke about their lives, here's the interesting thing. As they spoke about their lives, they told their story with a smile on their face. As they recounted some of the horrors that they had inflicted on people and others had inflicted on them. And in this midst, there was this hopelessness that turned to delight. As forgiveness sort of washed over them, there was this story that of, of pain that moved to peace. Of destruction that led to direction in life. Of selfishness that turned to selflessness. From ruin that turned to restoration. As they heard the gift of God's grace, God's gift of forgiveness given to them, that God loved them as as his children, not because of what they'd done or hadn't done. And this idea that forgiveness and grace is so unbelievably transformative. I think... Has it transformed your lives? How has it transformed your lives? How does it get you to think differently about your situation, about your direction? It's so out of this world. It turns everything upside down. It's so fantastically amazing. That it it should put a smile on our face and a spring in our step as we go into the next hour of our lives. Amazing grace (laughs) is the great song, isn't it? We love to sing it, but often we don't believe it or practice it. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Isaac, oh, I've forgotten his name, Isaac Watson, is that it? No? John Newman, there you go. I don't know where that was coming from. (laughs) John Newman wrote the song. He was a slave trader. Imagine that. A slave trader that turned around and God forgave him for the people he murdered, the people he enslaved, the damage he caused throughout the world and restored him to write this beautiful, amazing hymn. So the question is, why do us who have been Christians or exploring Christianity, maybe? Why do we fail to live it? (laughs) Why does it become a barrier to us? I found this quote from T.D. Jakes, um, this idea that we cannot embrace God's forgiveness if we're so busy clinging to the past wounds and nursing old grudges. And often that's what we do. We cling to this stuff, and we talk about the burden of guilt or the burden of our sin that we continue to carry with us in our lives and it becomes a barrier to love and intimacy with God and I want us to think about that so when we read this psalm and it says things like 
He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's, he removed our sins from us. Somehow we say we don't believe that because we keep carrying them with us. We're dragging them up again. And when we hear the verses um, that come, from, uh, I've got a couple from Hebrews 8, 11, which is actually quoting Jeremiah 31, 34, that says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. Or Isaiah 43, 25, where it says, I am him who blots out transgressions and remembers your sin no more. God, in his infinite love and grace and forgiveness, chooses to remember your sin no more. And so I say this to people, that when God views you as, he, as you sit here today, he sees you as spotless, as pure as his dearly loved child. And he doesn't drag up the past again. It's as if he, he forgets that. It's the only way he views you now is through Jesus and through the forgiveness and the debt that was paid so that you are his perfect, delightful, joyful children. That's what he, how he views us. And yet, we find it hard to forgive and forget <laughs> our own sin. And that we think that we've got to, you know, think of the... The voices that go through your head. God's disappointed in me. I'm such a failure. God would not be happy with me. I can't go to God because of this, this and this. I need to do more this. I need to stop doing that. Before God can love me or forgive me, I've got to change this. I remember what I used, you know, I remember those things. I remember... And somehow through that, our walk of joy and delight becomes robbed. <laughs> so why is it we do that? Why is it we do that? And I've talked a bit about this out of coming out of Revelation. I, I say it's three reasons why we do this. If we go to the next slide. Satan, the world, and our old self. So Satan is constantly lying to you about who God is and who you are. And so these things that I've just said to you, those sentences, they're lies from Satan. He's wanting to get you to believe that God actually is not that perfect loving father. That God actually isn't that happy with you. That actually God's mostly disappointed with you. And so we hear the light. We've got to remember that that's the enemy that's coming against us. We're in a world that says... Something like, you really need to do something to save yourself. Grace is charity. If you receive charity, you're weak and you're worthless. So you need to do something. You've got to, you've got to do something to make God happy. You've got to do something to make your life worthwhile. You've got, to make, you've got to do something to make your life successful. And the world lies to us. And we begin to believe those lies. Well, you know, the voice of the old self. 
Oh, yeah, that's true for others, but it's not for you. Well, it's not for me. Sorry. It's, it's true for others, but it's not for me. You don't know me. You don't know how I think or what I do. You don't know how long I've tried to stop this and it hasn't stopped. You don't know how much I just love this world. And you can't do this. Heard that voice? You can't do this. Or, actually, that feels really good. <laughs> so I'm going to keep doing that. I'm just going to... I'm just going to satisfy myself. <laughs> and these are lies, aren't they? Lies that are coming from Satan, the world, and, they, and ourselves as they interact. And it begins to erode the truth. And so that's why God's recorded his word for us. That's why he's given us his spirit. Because he says, I want you to be reminded of the truth. And that's what I'm doing as we go in through January, the beginning of this year. I want you to be reminded of the truth. That God loves you for who you are, not what you do. <laughs> And we need to align ourselves with the truth and not the lies of the enemy of this world or our old selves. And we reminded that <laughs> the truth is twisted. That's the best lie, isn't it? It's a lie that takes some truth and twists that. Because I reckon you probably did it when we read this psalm. And I reckon that Satan was probably at work when we read this psalm. There's a, there's a prayer that I pray often when I'm preparing for Sunday and coming into this, is that God would um, shoo off the birds, scare off the birds. Remember that? It's the sower of the seed, and when the seed goes out, the birds, that's Satan that comes in and removes the truth. And so my, my prayer often is that you would receive the truth today. And so even when we're reading the word, Satan is like, like wanting to take it away from us. Because I reckon some of us would have read this psalm today and said and heard this, uh, this, this voice of, yeah, there's, there's forgiveness and this amazing forgiveness that God gives, but it's for those who fear him. It's for those who obey him. And you start to think, oh, but I don't fear him. I don't obey him. I don't do that. And here's the lie. The lie is that God's love is dependent on you. I just reminded you of the truth before, wasn't it? God's love for you has got nothing to do with what you do. It's who you are. And so already the battle is raging even as we, as we hear this morning. And God remind, wants us to be reminded of the truth of his love and grace, his forgiveness, that it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him and his love for you. And he's enabled a way for you to be in an intimate, loving relationship with a Father God. It says this uh, later, a couple of verses that you might know this. For everyone bored of born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith there's a victory that Christ gives us that even overcomes whether we believe this or not if you're wondering about that remember this that Christ died for us while we were still sinners so why we were still rejecting him and not doing what he loved us as his children he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that was not from yourself, it was a gift from God. Even our faith, even this understanding of who God is and who we are, is a gift to us. 
And that's the beautiful thing. What do we do with a gift all the time is that we just need to receive it. We don't need to do anything. We receive it. And so all that Christianity asks us to do in terms of receiving this forgiveness, this love and grace is to actually just to believe that it's true. <laughs> that God is who he said he was and that Jesus was said who he was and Jesus accomplished what he said he did and that we are now the children of the living God and every sin that we've ever done, thought or said gets ripped up and thrown away. Every <laughs> sin that we're going to do gets ripped up and thrown away. We are washed clean and made right with him. More than that, you then are recipients of the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual blessing is yours. Every uh, provision is yours. It's from God for you as his children, as he lavishes this on his children. And so what does he want from us in this? He wants God loves and forgives his kids so that they can have that intimate relationship with him. And as we go into this year, I want us to work on our intimacy with God, personally and collectively. And God reveals this. Like last week, he was revealing intimate relationship with him as a husband and a bride and groom. This week, it's as a child and a, and a parent, that sort of intimacy. He says, that's what I want. That's why I've done this. I want us to be in that sort of relationship. And Hebrews, as it unrolls this, comes to this beautiful um, statement where it says, um, since God has forgiven us and lavished his grace on us, we have the confidence to enter the most holy place. The most holy place was where God lived. And he says, you now have confidence to be with God wherever uh, he is everywhere. You can be with God and you can uh, have that intimate relationship. with. There is nothing that separates us from God. We have now a new spirit life that reminds us of this grace and forgiveness. And so how does that work? How does that work in your life? And as I, um, as I looked for images about intimacy with God, I had a lot of this sort of stuff of, of reaching out, of... Um, people actually finding, it seemed to be people found space to be with God, to talk with God. And that happens in different ways, in different contexts, as I just read. Some people love to um, find place to read the Bible and read big chunks of the Bible as they get intimate with God. Other people just like to read a little bit and reflect and think on that. Other people uh, grow their intimacy by journaling and writing letters to God or writing their thoughts to God. Other people just love to immerse themselves in worship music as that sort of reminds them of who God is and who they are because of them. And so what's your response to this message of love and grace this morning? How do you work on that? How do you respond with love to God? How are you going to do that this year? Just think about that. And it's in that intimacy that God uh, says, come to me. Draw close to me, draw near to me, because there's no barrier between you and me. Let's be together. Let's work on that um, intimacy together. But as I'm talking, as I'm preaching, you're thinking, there's a, there's a paradox here. And the Bible's full of paradox, isn't it? If we go to the next slide. And this is the paradox, isn't it? That the Bible does remind us that we're really bad, <laughs> And that we fall far short 
of the requirements of God and that we don't fear him and that we don't obey him and we don't do his commands. And that, (laughs) and this is the thing, God wants us to recognise our sinfulness and brokenness to make us feel really, really bad. Is that right? No, he doesn't want us to make it... He wants us to realise, he, he, he helps us to recognise our sinfulness and our fallenness and brokenness. To why? To understand how much he loves us, to what extent he went to for us. And you know, the Tyler thing, the, amount, the, the bigger the amount of debt, the more we realise his love for us. And so the paradox is that we are both saint and sinner at the same time. I think I've talked to you about this as Paul does this, doesn't he? In Romans, as he works through Romans, he says, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The things I should be doing, I don't. And he writes a whole chapter about how bad he is. And he comes at the end of it and he just says, I'm a wretched person. What a wretched person I am. And in the next breath, no, it's probably the same breath, the next sentence, he says, but (laughs) there is no condemnation for me. I'm a perfectly forgiven child of God. He doesn't hold any of that against me. I'm now filled by his spirit. I have no barrier to his love. I have love and joy and peace that is mine, a gift from him. And somehow we hold those two (laughs) in tension. It's the paradox of Christian faith. And so... The idea of making us aware of our sin, sinfulness is to drive us to his love, is to drive us to the extent of his joy and delight for us. And Paul says that, doesn't he? He says, now I can live by the Spirit, and this is the Spirit of life, this is the Spirit of freedom, this is the Spirit of peace and joy, and it's by this Spirit, where does it go? See if you can remember where it goes. It's by this Spirit that I can call him Abba, Father. So I'm now, and that Abba thing is daddy. No, it's dad. It's the most intimate form of father-son relationship or father-child relationship. That's the most intimate. That's what he wants. And here's the thing. If you're from my sort of background or my era, we find it uncomfortable when people start to call God daddy, don't we? Or dad. Oh, no, no, that's too, that's too, no, that's too irreverent. But here, you know, he's saying, no, that's the sort of relationship. I want you to be able to call me dad. I want you to call me daddy. That's how much I love you. I want that intimate relationship, and I've made it possible. So come to me, sit with me, be with me, joy with me, delight with me. Put a smile on your face, put a spring in your step. Because this is who we are, father and child together, perfectly living together. Because there is no barrier between you and me. And so then where does Paul go? (laughs) He starts to say things like, so our present sufferings are nothing compared to that sort of glory. So it starts to change the the context. And he doesn't say, it doesn't hurt. He's saying it suffers. So we've still got pain, we've still got brokenness. But that is nothing compared to who I am and who God is. And so I can actually get, get a smile on my face and something happens within my heart, whatever my circumstance is. And so as we recognize our fallenness and brokenness, we remember Jesus' story to that lady 
and he was, he was teaching a Pharisee at the time. And he, he says to the Pharisee, he says, those who have been forgiven little, love little. So if we pretend that we're not sinful or broken and stuff like that, we won't actually fully understand the extent of God's love. And so we flip it around and we say, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And so that's why we want to hold those two intentions. That's why we want to be, have a real good theology and understanding of our sinfulness and our brokenness. But it's firmly meshed with a great theology of God's love, grace and forgiveness. So this year, as you head into the year, go to the last slide. May you fill up on this and may you <laughs> walk with some swag. I found this, I just thought I had to throw it up. <laughs> when you hear that, 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 you know, the swag thing, maybe, you know, saved with amazing grace. Because it should put a smile in your face, a face and it should put a spring in your step. It should change the, your demeanour. And so where does he go in the psalm? I want you to know this. I want you to know who you are as my kids. I want you to know the love I have for you. I want you to know the forgiveness so that you can soar like eagles. So that your, you, your, the, the, well, well, what does it say? Um, the energy of your youth will be restored to you. That you will have new vigor, new desire, new passion for this God. That's the way God wants us to live with him this year. So that you will walk with a bit of swag. You will be filled up by this love of an amazing, forgiving Father. And I pray that you will have a year of great joy and delight. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the perfect, forgiving, loving Father. Lord, we thank you that we sit here today as your children in Jesus Christ and that your love for us is beyond our comprehension. And Lord, as we sit with that paradox of recognizing our brokenness, we also understand the extent of your love and grace. And so, Lord, will you help us to live in the truth and not for lies and deceit. Help us to know that we are perfect children in your eyes. Will you restore to us the joy of your salvation, that we may, may live with joy and delight this year, that you may stir in us a passion and a desire to proclaim and live our lives for you, to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done because you alone are the one who is to receive all glory and honour and praise. Holy Spirit, help us to know that truth. Help us to live by that truth. Help us to experience that truth. In the name of Jesus. Amen.